a bit of a special Sunday today where we get to highlight our children's ministry here at Cornerstone Church. So I'm actually going to invite the kids up this morning. Even if you didn't know this was happening and you want to come on stage and sing, kids, please come up and we're going to join with them in doing some hand motions for the next couple songs. So the motions will be up on the screen and you can sing with us. So.
Let, let's pray together. And kids, why don't you come down and sit down here because I want to talk to you for a minute. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for our children and the blessings they are, the gifts they are to us, Lord. Help us to truly see um, the beauty of this as we watch them worship you, Lord. It just thrilled my heart to worship you. So thank you for the gift of our children. And we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So today we're going to have a short message for the children, and then we're going to um, have one for you big kids in a minute. Okay? Um, so you guys, I know you've been studying in Sunday school about the promises of God. So what I want to hear first is you guys to tell me your memory verse. Do you remember it? Sometimes, you know, when you're under pressure, you forget everything. So does anybody know the memory verse? Okay, we have two. I'll start it off, and you guys help me. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. So I'm going to read for everybody else. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was filled. So you guys have been studying the promises of God. You studied about how God created the world and, and God's promises to Adam and Eve. And there it was about how God promises to fix a broken world. And how did he fix it ultimately, by the way? Through Jesus. He fixed it through Jesus. This is one of those times where Jesus is the right answer. There's a story of Noah, how God promises to show us mercy. God showed mercy to, to, to Noah and his family. There's the story of Abraham, one of my favorite. And that's the promise. God's promises are now and later. Remember the story of Abraham? He promised a lot of children to Abraham, and he promised a lot of land. But you know, Abraham, the children came within a year. When did the land come in Abraham's life? Never. Abraham never saw the land. But his children, 400 years later, God filled the promises to them. God always keeps, God is a promise-making God, and God is a promise-keeping God. You with me on that? Say that with me. God is a promise-making God. Say that. Making God, everybody, and God is a promise-keeping God. Keeping God, very good. So I'm going to give you one of the, we're going to talk about the story of Joseph in a minute, how God kept his promises to Joseph, but I want to bring a New Testament promise in. So this last year, how many of you have been sick sometimes? How many of you have been sad? How many of you had someone you love get hurt, maybe? So where is God in all that? What's God doing in all that? When we get pain in our life, what's God doing? He's helping you feel better. And there's a promise with that. What was your name? Bravery? No kidding. Your name's Bravery? Cool name. (laughs) My name's Tony Bravery. Good to meet you. Listen to what God promises in Romans 8.28. We talked about it in the big church a couple months ago. God says this, we know that all things work together for good. All things, when you're sick, when you're hurt, when someone you love is hurting, all things work together for good to those who love God. Do you guys love God? So everything that happens in your life works for good, even though it doesn't feel like it today. They work for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want to take you back to the story of Joseph to show this. You see, all the pain and and hard times we go through, we say, God, is this really good? How can this be good? But do you know what his promise is? He's making you to be like Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you're going to look like him, 
on the outside, but you look like him on the inside. That you will have his heart for people. You will have his patience. You will have his love. You will have his self-control. All the things that Jesus is, he is orchestrating our life to accomplish that. And Joseph is a great example that you learned about. You see, God gave Joseph a dream. That Joseph, someday, people would bow down to him. His own family would bow down to him. Joseph's a little brother. Big brothers don't bow down to little brothers. I'm a little brother. You know what big brothers do to little brothers? Yes, every day. But Joseph's big brothers eventually bowed down. You know what happened? See, they got mad at Joseph, and they sold him into slavery. You know the story. They sold him to slavery, and they took blood on the jacket that his dad made for him and made it sound like he was dead when he wasn't. And then he went to slavery, and then the slaves sold him to a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar threw him in jail because he thought Joseph hurt his wife, but he didn't. His wife lied. Then Joseph's in jail, and he's forgotten. But eventually he gets out because he interpreted the king's dream, and he became the number two person in charge of all of Egypt because he had a dream how they're going to save the world from starvation. Remember the story? It's a cool story. But see, the, what's that? At your school and at church. Isn't that cool? So Joseph, at the, towards the end of the story, his brothers come to him and say, Joseph, we're so sorry. Please don't kill us. And you know what Joseph said? Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. You meant to hurt me. But God meant it for good. You see, and I ask everyone here, could God have gotten Joseph into the place of second in command of Egypt with no pain in his life? Is God able to do that? Absolutely. But he chose the path of pain and suffering for Joseph. Why? To make him into the mature man he needed to be. So God is working in your lives to make you into that mature person that looks like his son, Jesus. Everything that happens to you is for a purpose. So even in the hard times when we're, we're sad and we wonder why, we can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it, but I trust you. You with me on that, you guys? Cool. You guys pay very good attention. Thank you. Let, let's thank God. And Jessica's going to come up. God, we thank you for the stories that tell us about your promises, that you're a promise-making God, you're a promise-keeping God, and we can always trust you. Even when times get hard and there's pain and we just can't see how you're going to work this out, you are trustworthy every time, Lord. You always keep your promises, so we thank you for that, and we love you. And everybody said, amen. amen. So Jessica's going to come up and give us some announcements about children's ministry. Jessica's been our children's minister since May, and she's doing a killer job, so thank you, Jessica. Good morning, Cornerstone. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to highlight our children today and just to give you guys an update on what we've been doing in children's ministry because I feel that it is so important that the entire church body is invested in what our kids are learning down there. And we as a church body are going to grow up our kids in this church um, with love. And I see every one of you in this church as a partner in that for us. So what we did here and what Tony did is he kind of recapped what we've been learning the last five weeks um, in our promise series. So we went through Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, the kids have learned the stories and they have learned some very important promises 
that God has given to us. And it's been super fun. And I want to let you guys know that for the next four weeks, we are going to go on a road trip in children's ministry. We are going to go on a road trip, you guys. We're going to explore the Ten Commandments and how to love God and how to love other people through that. So it's going to be super exciting, and I would love to see more faces down in children's ministry. So if you're interested in coming down and helping us and going on this road trip with us, I would love to have you. Next, I want to update you guys on soccer camp. I know that for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've been advertising this soccer camp, and it happened a week and a half ago, and it was beyond amazing. It was a super awesome outreach event. We had 55 kids come to this soccer camp, and I hope that we can see these kids come into this church, but it was awesome. I met kids that I haven't met. I met families that I haven't met, and our soccer coaches did an amazing job. And I want you to know that these soccer coaches came from around the world, and they're missionaries. It's a nonprofit organization. These are people who put their blood and soul into the work of Jesus Christ, not asking for a penny. So it was awesome, and if you didn't get to experience being a part of it this year, I hope to bring this camp back again, and I hope that you guys can experience that. And I want to thank the volunteer teams. And also, I want to thank Natalie Saatchi. I, I know she, I saw her in here. There she is. I saw her in here. She took amazing photos of this soccer camp, and I want you guys to experience a little bit of what we had during soccer camp. So we're going to play you guys a short slideshow. want to thank our church body because when we started 
planning this event. I prayed and I asked for donation money to sponsor children to come to this camp. And we got triple the amount of sponsorships that we asked for. And so we were able to sponsor 17 children to come to this camp this year. So a big round of applause to you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so the fun is not over yet this summer. We are having vacation Bible school on August 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th. It's free for people to come, and I hope that you guys can help me spread the word and get as many kids into the, these church walls as we can. We have a couple work days coming up this Wednesday and next Wednesday, August 4th and August 11th. From 9 to 12, we will be here facilitating some craft days, some work days. So if you have a knack for decorations, crafts, we would love to see you show up to this event. If you would like to register your kids, it's on our Cornerstone website on the front page. And if you would like to register to volunteer, that is also available on the Cornerstone front page. And we're going to have a leader orientation for Vacation Bible School on Tuesday, August 10th from 5.30 to 6.30. So if you're volunteering, we're going to gather you guys up, make sure everyone's on the same page and we know what's going on. Um, last but not least, I want to announce that someone who has been working closely with me in children's ministry has committed to leadership and has committed to working closely with me, um, and that is Amber Pluckhan. So if you could just stand up and say hi to everybody. You are going to see her in children's ministry a lot, so please don't be shy and come say hi and introduce yourself. And now I'm going to pass this mic on to Elena. She's going to give you a couple more updates. Awesome. One more round of applause for Jess. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Awesome. So I just wanted to take a moment to remind you guys about our worship night coming up this Friday, August 6th at 7 p.m. So this is the last time. You'll hear about it um, in church on Sunday. So please plug it into your calendars. Um, worship nights are my favorite thing ever because I, I don't know about you guys, but it's rare that I find an hour just to sit in the presence of God. Um, and I think it's so important to just come together as a church body and worship him. And um, he wants to meet with us and he wants us um, to spend time with him. And I think worship nights are just the best way to do that. So um, we've been praying a ton. Our whole team has been praying a lot for this night. And I firmly believe that there's something that God wants to do in the heart of each and every person who comes. So I pray that you will come. I pray that you'll bring someone and that we can just be able to spend time together worshiping. We'll have a full band up here and it's just such a blessing. Um, this is our last one of the summer. So that's this Friday. I hope to see you there. Um, and then the next worship announcement is about beach baptisms on August 29th. We will have an outdoor service. So like Tony said, if you come here on August 29th, we are at the beach. Um, it's at Burnt Cedar. We'll have, once again, a full band out on that lawn, and we'll do a whole service outside. And if you are praying about it and you would like to get baptized, we have a sign-up sheet in the lobby, and then there'll be a class right before that baptism Sunday as well. So with that, Tony, it's all you. Thank you very much, Elena. And if you live in Incline, you obviously have beach privileges. If you don't live in Incline, just pull up to the gate and tell them you're with Cornerstone Church and they will let you in. And then um, the church's budget will cover your day at the beach. You can stay there all day long. Take advantage of it. Okay, let's pray. Father, guide us today in your word. And um, 
open our hearts and minds to truth where we need to think differently, act differently, and, um, and honor you in all things, Father. So I so look forward to the passage we're going to talk about today. In Christ's name, I thank you. Amen. I want to read to you something before we open our Bibles. I want to read to you um, a decision elders have made regarding... Oh, kids, if you want to go sit with your parents, please go back to your parents, okay, if you want to. If you want to stay right there because you can see me better, you can stay right there. <laughs> Let me read this to you. The elders have decided to maintain our current policy of allowing you to determine whether you wear a mask in services or not. The advice and mandates from our leaders on the national and state level have been ch changed so much that we decided to trust your intelligence and wisdom to make a free decision for the well-being of your family and the people of God. Please understand me here. This freedom is not simply to do what you want to do, but you have the freedom to do what is right for all in your life, including the people sitting next to you, in front of you, and behind you. We need to practice Philippians 2, 3, and 4, which Paul says, consider the needs of others as more important than your own. I'll talk more about that in my message today. This, this really fits well with my message. Please be patient with us and with one another as we once again are adjusting to the new normal, or rather, as we are adjusting to the moving target called COVID-19. And um, you guys have always impressed me with your responsibility. I just want to remind us that the responsibility we have before the Lord regarding each other. And um, in light of that, we're going to be in Romans 14 today. And I, I was trying to figure out how to open this message. Romans 14 is about Christian freedom. Freedom meaning there's certain areas of life that God hasn't commanded. And I have a choice to do yay or nay to those areas of life, and so do you. And sometimes we disagree. So I want to talk about that today. Romans 14, also 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 deal with that. I was trying to think, what, what, how can I introduce this? And I'll go back to my son, Zach, who turns 41 next month. I had him when I was eight. <laughs> and, um, and when he was 14 years old, so we're talking 1994, he's 14 years old, he said, Dad, I want an earring. And I said, you're not a girl. You don't get an earring. That's how I saw an earring on a boy, so forgive me. And so, Dad, but Dad, but Dad, I said, okay, when you're 16, you can have one. I should have never said that. I figured in two years, he'd forget all about it. Well, in two years, he, um, he came to me with scripture, too, from Old Testament, where they took the nose rings out of Israel's men's nose and de dedicated the gold to the temple. See, Dad, it's in the Bible. It's a bad thing when you teach your children the Bible. So, when I was 16, I let him get an earring. Then, there was people in our church at Grace Church at that time that came to him and said, you're a pastor's son, you shouldn't have an earring. And he came and told me that. I said, Zach, you don't listen to them. That you stand before the Lord and answer for what you've done. I stand before the Lord and answer for how I've raised you. You don't have to listen to those people. And that kind of encapsulates this area of Christian freedoms that we we have convictions about certain areas of life that we don't always agree upon, and then we tend to criticize each other for those areas. And the passage here is going to give us some advice. We're going to spend two weeks on this. This week, we're going to do a big overview from chapter, chapter 14, verses 1 to chapter 15, verse 7. A big overview of the principles 
And then next week, we're going to dive in deep to a couple of those areas that we still today argue about. So let me um, remind you of the context. This whole section of Scripture, Romans 12 to 15, starts in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice we kill. We don't slit our throats to sacrifice ourselves to God like they did the animals. No, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to honor him. And then it says renew our minds. See, we have the world puts a lot of stuff in our heads that isn't the right beliefs before God. So we renew our minds to truth. Then he goes later in the chapter about love. He says this in Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So that set up the rest of chapter 12. In chapter 13, he repeats it again, and, and um, Gavin Ortland preached on this last week. Chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And Jessica just mentioned going through the Ten Commandments, but did you hear how she summarized them? The Ten Commandments is loving God and loving others. Because if I love you, I'm keeping the law. So that, that's Paul's themes he's going through. We get to chapter 14, now we're going to see the concept of Christian freedoms. And let me give you a, a beginning definition of what these Christian freedoms are. In areas of life where God has not specifically commanded a course of action, we are free to act according to our conscience. Okay, read that again. Look up there, read that again. Let's put it up there. In areas of life where God has not specifically commanded a course of action, we are free to act according to our conscience. But here's the problem. We tend to have very strong opinions that differ with each other, and the potential to mistreat one another is ever-present. How many of you have ever been criticized for holding a conviction? The scripture doesn't command, but you hold a conviction, but someone's criticized you for it. A Christian has criticized you for it, judged you. It's, it's pretty normal. Today we're going to talk about how we deal with that. In Romans 14, Paul comes up with three areas. Remember, the Roman church was a group of Jews and Gentiles. And historically speaking, the, the Jewish people were kicked out of Rome about eight to ten years before Paul wrote this letter. You see, they were fighting. They were fighting over this person named Christus, which is probably a Latin misspelling of Christos. The Jews were fighting over the Messiah. And the emperor said, all you Jews out of Rome, I'm sick of your fighting. Well, years later, they let him back in. By that time, though, the church had grown. The Gentiles had, had grown to large numbers in the church of Rome. Now, the Jewish people have come back in, and there's struggles between Jewish culture and Gentile culture. And how do, we, how do we exist together as one body of Christ? That's what Paul is addressing in the whole book of Romans. And so, the issue of food. Jewish people have very strict kosher diets. Gentiles don't. We're not going to eat what you make. So there was criticism. What day to attend church? When did a Gentile go to church? Excuse me, when did a Jewish person go to church? The Sabbath is Saturday, the seventh day. When were the Gentiles celebrating the Lord? The first day, the resurrection day. Now there's tension there. And then Paul mentions wine, just in a brief um, passing by. He deals with it more in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. So those are the three things culturally that these two groups of people disagreed on. So Paul's giving principle. But we today have way more. Historically, if you've been, I've been a Christian 40 years. 
41 or 2, I don't know, 1979. Let me read to you the areas of Christian freedom that I've seen us fight over. Okay? And l- let me know by, you know, a hoot, a holler, or a clap that you're, you're aware of these fights. Length of hair on men. Beards. Did you know that beards was a real issue back in the 80s and 90s? If you're a man wearing a beard, you're hiding something. Gambling. And then the face cards themselves. Even, even playing with poker cards was seen as not right. You can play with Uno cards. There's no face cards in there. But not poker cards. Tobacco use. Vaping is newer. That's, you know. In fact, I remember as at Grace Church, I got a phone call from a lady that just moved to Reno. And she asked us, she asked me flat out, does your, the people of your church go into casinos? And I told her, I said, and we had just that day, this is like nine in the morning, that morning I had led a Bible study at the Shy Clown Casino restaurant. <laughs> now, if you guys know that back then, the Shy Clown is now called Baldini's and Sparks. But I just read a, led a Bible study in the restaurant. And I said, ma'am, I just finished a Bible study in a local casino. Well, how could you do that? How could you even walk in the place? I said, ma'am, where are you from? We moved here from Kentucky. I said, ma'am, did anybody in your church grow tobacco? Yes, many people did. Well, how could they possibly do that? (laughs) You see, my culture, casinos are part of the norm, and you got to deal with wisdom on what to do with that. But her culture, growing tobacco was the norm. And I, I could argue tobacco's caused way more trouble than gambling has. But that's, that's not the point of the passage. Mixed swimming. This is totally gone, but men and women should not swim at the same time in pools and lakes. Too much visual issues there. Alcohol is still an issue. Tattoos and piercing. After my son got the earring, he pushes the limits. He goes, I want to get a tattoo. And I said, over my dead body. (laughs) And I said, when you're 18, you can do what you want. He says, when I'm 18, I'm getting a tattoo. And I said, then you'll move out of my house. And my my son was such a rebel. I look back on it and go, God. He goes, Dad, really, you'll kick me out if I get a tattoo. Of course, I wasn't going to do that. But, you know, it was like, so I, that son has a picture of praying hands on his arm with the name Yahweh under it in Hebrew. When I saw he did that, I said, if you don't live that life, I'm going to take a wire brush and scrub that off of your arm. (laughs) Um, My next son has four or five tattoos. My youngest son, who came into my home when he was 14, I I adopted him, he's got tattoos from here to his ankles. Entire body's covered. It's a non-issue now. But then it was a big issue. piercings or never mind, I'm not going to say anything. Music styles, clothing styles, it goes on and on. But we have more current ones today, generationally in this church even. As a general rule, baby boomers don't give much thought to the environment. That's not entirely true, but they don't give as much thought as their children do. Environmental issues is very important to our children. They are to our children. Um, and so what do we do with that? Here's the big one that we'll come back to, vaccine or no vaccine. I'm amazed that in mask or no mask, how much we, the people of God, the body of Christ, 
have been incredibly mean-spirited to each other. And we go beyond, we go beyond what is presented to us and start reading motives. If there's something that, when my ministry's done here at this church in 35 years, that, well, that was funny, come on. I will not be here in 35 years. Um, if, but when my ministry's done, if you could have in your mind that I should never presume someone's motive. I look at actions, not motives, because I don't know your motives. Because when I go for your motives, guess what I do? My flesh presumes the worse, as opposed to giving you the benefit of the doubt. Why do we do that? So when it comes to actions, whether I'm vaccinated or I'm not vaccinated, whether I wear a mask or I don't wear a mask, talk to me, but don't presume a bad motive on my part. You with me on that? This is so important for Christians that we support each other, not criticize each other. So this week, we're going to look at these overarching principles. Next week, we'll jump into details. Before we can jump into those details, today, the overarching principles, I've got to introduce three kinds of people to you, two from our text and one I'm inserting in. The first one, the Bible, chapter 14 and 15, introduced to us the weaker believer. Then introduces the stronger believer. Let me give you these quick definitions. The weaker believer is the person, the follower of Jesus, who has convictions about something that God hasn't commanded, but they have a conviction whether they should participate in that, but they're easily swayed to the opposite position and violate their conscience. Did that make sense? So a weaker believer is someone that has a conviction, drinking a beer is wrong. Then they come to my house and I offer them a beer, and they go, whoa. He drinks a beer, so I guess I will, but I don't think I should. I've just now strengthened his conscience to do something his conscience says he shouldn't do. And it says what is not of faith is is sin. I've caused him to stumble, and he's violated his conscience, which is a sin. That's the weaker believer. You with me? The stronger believer is the person that has convictions about what is right and wrong for them, but you're not going to convince that stronger believer to go against their convictions. So it's it's not that the stronger believer does whatever he wants or she wants. It's that they can't be convinced to violate their convictions. Do you get that? The third person, which I'll deal with next week, more than this week, it's more a category that one of my Bible college professors gave me, and it's called the Pharisee. We, We usually call this person the legalist. But I like the word Pharisee. See, the Pharisee has convictions about what's right and wrong, for me and for you and for him or her. And they're happy to tell us how wrong we are. So I'll talk more about that next week as we look at the concept of dancing. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I sent Elena my slides on Friday. She makes all the slides for us. And yesterday I realized I was going to read the entire text to you, chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, 7. But I didn't send her those slides. And it was her day off. I'm not going to make her do slides in her day off. So here's what you, you, act, you have to open your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen right now. So I'm, please get your phones out, your Bibles, your iPad, whatever it is you have a Bible on, and follow with me. I want to read the whole thing, and we'll spend two weeks in this. And the ushers have some Bibles if you need one. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Ushers will bring you one. Okay, are you there? Romans 14, verse 1. Romans 14, 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or accept him is another translation. But not 
to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, that would be the Gentile, while the weak person eats only vegetables. You see, the Jewish person at this time had deep convictions, I cannot eat Gentile food, even though Jesus declared all things clean in Mark 7. We'll talk about that next week more. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. We can become judgmental. And let the, not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him or accepted him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Is it before his own master that he stands or falls? And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This is the beauty of the truth here. We, we talk about our belief in the sovereign power of God in our lives, the idea that when hard times come, we know God is mightily at work within us. But then when we disagree, we don't presume God can hold you up. Well, Marcia, if you drink that beer, I think you're going to go to hell someday, Marcia. That's the Pharisee talking. Do you drink beer, Marcia? I'm, never mind, don't answer that. God is able to make Marcia stand. I don't. So why am I criticizing her? Because God is able to make her stand. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, the Sabbath, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? That's the two same words used to the strong person despises the weak. The weak person passes judgment on the strong. So Paul's asking both groups, why are you doing this? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore let no one pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We'll deal with that verse a lot next week. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one from whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Chapter 15. Stay with me. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that's the reading of the scripture for today. I want to look at four or five principles by which we should live. These are big pictures that we will apply next week to specifics. First, the glory and honor of God should be our highest priority. We say this all the time. I've asked you this before, that if you're a good Presbyterian, you know the first question of the Westminster Catechism, which is, what is the chief end of man? Presbyterians? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the first question of the catechism. Why do I exist? According to the Westminster Catechism, I exist to glorify him and enjoy my relationship with him. Paul died 1,600 years before the Westminster Confession, but he agrees. Listen to verses 6 through 8. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Take the word honor and glory, they're synonyms. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So that's the beginning of the paragraph. Now go to the end of the paragraph in chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What it says there, that we should live in such a way that with one voice, in harmony, we act in such a way that with one voice, God is honored and glorified. I think we do okay, but we, we can do way better. I don't want to act like, oh, you're failing, because we can always point out our failures. God has worked mightily in the people of this church. But we have a, a long way of growth in that area that we, in one accord, live our lives to the glory and um, um, honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think of the glory of God for a moment. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, you know, who should be number one in your life, by the way? Boy, you guys weren't real confident on that one. <laughs> Who should be number one? Who should be number two? Number three. You guys are getting a little weaker. Four. Here's what we usually do. God's number one. My wife's number two. My family, my wife, my family. Church number three. Work number four. We do this. Well, let me ask you, in that scale, we say God one. When are you ever done with God that you can go to number two? Never. You're never done with glorifying God, so I never get to number two. So the whole system to me doesn't work. Here's what you think of the glory of God. I should have brought an umbrella here. I think of these illustrations before I go grab um, props. But imagine I have an umbrella, I open it up, and that umbrella represents the glory of God. So I'm standing under the umbrella, 
everything I do is under the heading of the glory of God. And under that heading is my family life. Under that heading is my church life. Under that heading is my entertainment life. Under that heading is my civil life, all the way down the road. And, and, and there, sometimes I have to tell my family that I gotta be at church tonight, I can't come to your event. Other times I tell the church, I'm not coming to the event at church because I'm going to a family event. Because I have to walk before my God and say, God, which one glorifies you today? So, so you get that picture? Everything falls under the glory of God and every decision I make needs to be filtered through what honors you the most when I have conflicts in my life and decisions of how I spend my time. To me, that's a way better imagery for than one, two, three, four. You with me on that? That's the first principle. The overarching principle, the umbrella over this whole area is the glory of God. Number two, God accepts us, so we should do the same for one another. This last, let me read it to you. I'm gonna read one through four again, 14, one through four, and listen to this idea of welcome or accepting. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or accept him but not to quarrel over opinions. So don't invite someone in to tell them they're wrong. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him, to hold him up. How come it's so easy for us to criticize each other? And maybe I don't criticize Dick to his face, but when Frank and I sit down, we talk about Dick. <laughs> um, sorry, Dick. I know you talk about me too, but always good. Yeah. But wh why do we do that? Why do we, why are we so quick to find faults in each other and then talk about it? it, it this is, I wonder sometimes if it's um, insecurities, because I think this is a good thing, you think it's not, in order to justify me thinking it's good, I'm gonna run you into the ground. And, and it ought not be that way. And, if you, and, and I'm assuming if I took a vote here today, if I define the weaker and stronger believers, I bet the majority in this room would say I'm a stronger believer. And what Paul says to us stronger believers is then give up your rights for the weaker ones. Give up your rights and give up your freedoms. Paul talks about this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, you know, all the other apostles go out with their wives, but Barnabas and I don't have wives. The Bible says that the one who preaches the gospel should get their living from the gospel, Paul says. But I will not charge the, the Corinthians because I don't want them to think I'm doing it for the wrong motives. I have the rights and freedoms to get married and take a wife along. I have the rights and freedoms to be paid to be a minister, Paul says. But I won't do either if it hinders the gospel in your life, he's telling the Corinthians. That's the attitude we need, not, hey, this is my right. And I think... As Americans, we need to learn how to use our rights. I talked about this a few weeks ago, how to use our rights for the gospel's sake. But let's not get caught up that my primary identity is American with rights. How about my primary identity is a servant, a, slave, a balanced slave of Jesus Christ that has no rights. I'm here to serve his purposes. The next principle. God is the one who evaluates and judges our lives. We should not do this to one another. Listen to verses 10 and 11 of chapter 14. 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. And verse 12 I should have put in there. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Do you ever give much thought to that day? It, it's a, um, I think we need to give more thought to those texts that talk about the day we all give an account to God. We have a, a simplistic view of the second coming, because that's when this it takes place. And, and we tend to think of the second coming as, as immediate party, a godly party. And, and that, that's going to happen. There's going to be rejoicing that day. But there's also on that day an accounting to where this is talked about by Jesus in the Gospels. Paul talks about a couple times that there's an evaluation of how I live my life in this body on this earth with the gifts God has given me. And this is not about going to heaven or hell. That, that's covered by coming to faith in Jesus Christ and trusting him and him alone. But then he equips us with gifts. He enables us and, and gives us blessings in life. What did we do with these gifts and blessings? Did we use them for him as bond slaves? Or said, no, these are mine. Do we use them for selfishness? There's a day coming where I will give an account for how I treated you and you'll give an account for how you treated me. And again, I don't want to make this some heavy bummer, but I think we kind of ignore it as though that day's not going to happen. Um, so let's give a lot of thought and prayer to the day that I stand before him and can I, can I, live my daily life and put my head on my pillow each night. Say, Lord, I strive today to honor you by how I treated my brothers and sisters. And hopefully on that evaluation day, you're well done, good and faithful servant. As opposed to as 1 John chapter 2, 28 in that area, it says when Christ returns, talking to brothers and sisters, some of you will shrink away in shame at his coming because we'll find ourselves living selfishly when he returns. And we'll go, oh, not today. Not today. So I don't do that to to bring guilt on us. I do that to sober us up on the responsibility we have to treat one another in a manner that we want to be treated. The next principle. Peace, righteousness, peace, and joy are the overarching virtues we should be aspiring for. Don't let areas of freedom override these. See, if, if I make my right to, to wear a mask or not wear a mask, or get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, or, or drink a beer or not drink a beer, eat vegetables, whatever they are, whatever the issue is, if I make that the highest thing in my life, I'm actually going to be um, suppressing righteousness, peace, and joy. So righteousness, what is that? If this, is, if this is the definition of the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy, these things should be where I'm putting my energy. What is righteousness? It is the character of Christ being formed in me. It's, it's, yes, Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. I have his righteousness before God. But now the entire rest of my life from the day I came to faith in Jesus, he is working that righteousness out in me in practical ways. So I have the character of Christ in me. Peace. This is first and foremost not talking about a, a subjective emotion of, of I feel good today. Certainly that flows. This is talking about the lack of conflict among the people of God. That we are at peace together. 
He talked about it in Romans chapter 5. Now that we have peace with God, see, see, I'm, I'm not God's enemy anymore. I have peace with him. Then he says he made peace between us. That's the kingdom of God, that we live in peace and joy. The difference between joy and happiness, I always say that happiness is circumstantial. There's some days I'm just not happy. But joy is above circumstances. If I really understand the joy of the Lord, circumstances can never take away my joy. Because my joy supersedes my, the events of my day. I have a God who loves me. I have a God who is, his love for me is so deep that he sent his son to pay for my sins on a cross and that I was buried with him and raised again to walk in a new life, given the spirit of God, given a new purpose, given a family. That is joy. And nothing in my circumstances can take that away from me. That's the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy. So let's not let what I believe is my right to do what I want in these areas of freedom rob me and you of this righteousness, peace, and joy. Did I read the verse to you? Let's do it again, 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I wonder in this last year, because of all the different perspectives of COVID, then that hit with an election that was filled with venom from both sides, that the church focused in so much on, on our circumstances of the day. And did we miss what it means to live for the kingdom of God and righteousness, peace, and joy? And it's not going away. So let's remind ourselves our civil involvement in politics is important. How we approach this COVID thing is important. But none of it supersedes the overarching glory of God and that we are to be about righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm gonna read this to you. I, um, righteousness, peace, and joy cannot ever be taken away from you. We can get sick, we can die, and guess what? Everyone in this room is gonna die. We can't, we can't, have, we can't have, I might get sick and die as the most highest thing we worry about. Because guess what? In 100 years, no one in this room will probably be here. If you are, that's amazing. Okay. Okay. I hope you are, and I hope you're healthy when you are. Okay. We can get sick, and we can die, but righteousness, peace, and joy go into eternity. They are the substance of the kingdom of God. In this temporal situation we're in with Democrats, Republicans, COVID, drink wine, don't drink wine, eat meat, don't eat meat, all that will be gone. It's kind of like I told my teenage kids. When the teenage kids, their friends were the most important thing in their life. I mean, there was, the family was persona non grata to teenage boys and girls. And I would tell them, do you understand that in five to ten years, you won't even know where these friends are anymore? But guess what? I'll still be here. I don't care, you know. And then when they're 25, they go, oh, you're right. That's the same principle here. 
Righteousness, peace, and joy are eternal concepts and principles and virtues and values. All these other things are going to pass away. Let's make, as Pastor Ron says, let's make the main thing the main thing. Put that, get a tattoo of that. Make the main thing, no, no, never mind. Um, sorry, Ron. Last, bearing the burdens of the weak is more important than pleasing ourselves. This goes back to what I said in the introduction about whether I wear a mask or not around you shouldn't be about my rights or what I like or don't like. It should be about what do you need. And because I consider your needs more important than mine. Paul does that in chapter 15 here, one through three. And we'll end on this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I should be used by God to see you become more like Jesus. And you the same for me. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, the punishment I should get for my sin, he took. For whatever was written in former times, I'll stop there. So, I'll end this on this principle and we'll pick this up next week right here. And that is, if you're a person in this room that calls yourself a strong believer, that you can't be swayed to act contrary to your convictions, then you have a responsibility to live your life in a way that holds up those who can be easily swayed. Because when we live our lives for selfishness and we cause a brother or sister to stumble, then we, for a temporal issue, are destroying our brother or sister, causing them to sin. The people for whom Christ died, I am causing them to sin over an issue that is not very important. So let's get our priorities right. Righteousness, peace, and joy. As we together continue in this thing called the Christian life in the 21st century of Incline Village. Let's pray. Father, this week, Lord, just drill some of these principles into our hearts and minds. Give us examples, Lord. Bring us into situations with friends and family where we can, we can apply them, Lord. And prepare us next week for, for looking at some specifics in great detail. So we do love you. And um, as I mentioned earlier to the children, that all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Father, we do believe you have called us. We do love you, and we know that sometimes our lives don't always reflect that claim. But we thank you for your mercy and grace when that is true. But each of us in this room, Lord, I, I think I know everyone in this room enough to know that I want my love for you to um, abound, which then results in a life that builds up one another and brings great glory to you. Thank you, Father. In your Son's name we come to you. Because of him we can. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship? Bring. Worthy of every breath
I forgot, those of you on the prayer chain know this, but I forgot to lead you in prayer for Matthew Campbell. Matthew is, is our church administrator, is one of our elders. And Thursday afternoon, Matthew had a coughing fit. Matthew has a, a very extreme case of asthma. And he had a coughing fit that I had to take him to the hospital Thursday afternoon. Then Edie and the family came down, and then they went home about 10 at night. And then at 1 o'clock, the pain was so bad, he went back to the hospital in Carson, and he's still there. He has a collapsed lung, and he has a tube going in his side to inflate the lung. Very painful. Um, today he's in a lot of pain, Edie tells me. So a lot of people in this church are hurting. I don't want to just focus on Matthew, but you've, if you're on the prayer train, you've seen these. Um, so let's just lift up Matthew right now. And So, Father, we know... If we, the verse we read earlier to the kids is your promise, all things work together for good to those who are called by you, who love you, and the end result, you form us into the image of your son. So I know you're doing that in Matthew's life. Lord, I've seen it. But we also you come to you in prayer, asking you as the good father to heal him, to raise him back to health, Lord. Even today, Father, that, that, that you have the authority over all things, and we come to you and ask for that mercy in Matthew's life and Edie's life and, and, and all the kids and grandkids, Father, to raise him back up to health for your good purposes. We love you and, um, and just overwhelm Matthew even now with um, your love and know that he's greatly loved by your people. So thank you, Father. In Christ's name we give you praise. Amen. Have a phenomenal week serving God and one another.